Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Tonight we're going to do something special, and uh, this is very much on purpose. So we are a church that uh, believes in the next generation. I'll take an amen on that. We're a church that believes in the next generation. Um, I don't even see, I don't see children and youth as the church of tomorrow. I believe children and youth are very much a part of the church of today. I believe God has his hand on their life and wants to use them and reveal himself to them uh, just as he does to all of us. And uh, tonight uh, starts a series of three nights, um, revival services in the youth auditorium. And, uh, and so tonight we're going to link up just to the guest speaker. Uh, he's already been introduced in the auditorium uh, over there. Uh, Tyshawn Roland is his name, and uh, he's been with them before. And so he's going to bless your life tonight. We're just going to link up with uh, the Tidal Wave service tonight in this service. Uh, and I want you as, you, as you hear this word, be praying for God to revolutionize students' lives this week at Tidal Wave. Will you do that? All right, let's give, our, let's give that guest speaker a hand as he comes to minister over there at the youth center. I pray that God honors each and every one of you double fold. Second, but not last, but second to last, I want to honor a special group of people. For a while, I would travel and I would go to different churches and places that I was invited to preach at, but I would forget to honor this small group. And the thing is, as I've gotten older and how, and how I've gotten to be in green rooms, I've gotten to talk to this group of people. And these group of people go through different things. They go through a different level of pain. They go through a different level of pressure. And they don't ask for it. They're actually born into it. And it's pastor's kids and staff kids. And if you're a pastor's kid or a staff kid, can you just stand up? Can you just stand up? Because we want to honor you. Don't be ashamed. If you're a pastor's kid or a staff kid, I want you to stand up. And I want you to stay standing. And I want to say this to everyone that's standing. Number one, I want to thank you for the example that you're leading. I know it's hard. I know it's hard having the pressure of a pastor when you're just trying to be a prepubescent teenager. I know it's hard when people are looking at you with the extra layer with expectation. I know it's hard, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you, and I know that God has a distinct plan. He could have put you in any family, but he decided to put you in this specific family. You know why? Because there's a call on your life, and you are blessed to be in the family that you're in. You are blessed to be in this house that you're in. Don't run from the pressure. If anything, learn to handle that pressure at a young age, because when you get older, I'm going to talk about this tonight, but when you get older, you're going to have to learn how to handle pressure. And I know that God is going to trust you with a lot because he's already trusting you a lot today. So can we give it up for these incredible pastor kids, young men and young women alike? And last but not least, I want to honor the most important woman to me, and that's my incredible wife, Victoria Rowland, who's been married to me for five years. I met her in church. I remember the first time I saw her, I was like, that's the one. And the first time she saw me, she was like, the one behind him is the one, because she didn't like me. But I prayed and I fasted, and God changed her name from lawyer to Roland. Won't he do it? He'll do it. And so I just want to honor you, babe. Can we give it up for my incredible wife? Babe, you can just wave. She doesn't like to stand. And listen, if I bless you at all tonight and you want to see, man, well, what church is he a part of? The only reason that I preach the way I preach and I have 
you know, a grace that I have is because I've been under some phenomenal leaders, but the leader that I'm under currently is my, my pastor, and I love him so much, but, uh, and I'm glad to be under him. His name is Pastor Jensen Franklin, and I'm from Gainesville, Georgia. So if you ever wanna come hang out, Gainesville, Georgia, not Florida. I know nothing about Gators. Matter of fact, I know nothing about sports. You wanna talk Fortnite? Holla at your boy. But all we got is Gainesville is chickens, and free chapel. So if you ever want to come hang out, it's going to be a blessing to you. But who's excited for the word? I'm excited to share, and I really believe that God has a word in store for you. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And I'm not going to read that many verses. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to read one verse. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But here's the thing. I'm going to read one verse but I'm gonna have to go through the whole book. So that's how that's gonna work here. So I'm gonna go to one verse. And my goal for you tonight, for everyone watching at different campuses, is that I want you to understand this famous text that everybody quotes. If you've been in church for any litany of time, you'll learn that people love to quote this specific verse. And once you hear it, you're gonna understand like, yeah, if I memorize that verse, I would probably quote it too. But I'm gonna talk about the context of that verse. I'm gonna talk about the principle of that verse. And I'm gonna talk about the promise of that verse. And I believe that if you lean in tonight, I really do believe this, that God can change the trajectory of your life with one sentence. God can change everything about your life in one moment. The reason that I hold this microphone, the reason that I get to do the things I've done is because I've sat in rooms just like this. And I, I sat in the room with expectation. And so if you're 12 years old, I want you to have expectation. If you're 74 years old, I want you to have expectation. Moses was 80 when he started, so you're not done. God has a plan for you too. So God is not looking at age, but he is looking at expectation. And so I want you to lean in with expectation for what the Lord is going to say to you tonight. Genesis chapter 50. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I love how the NLT version says, it says, you meant it to harm me, but God meant it for my good. And he positioned me for the saving of many people. And so I wanna preach a message entitled, The Truth About Favor. The Truth About Favor. I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are going to do some miracles tonight. You're gonna do a miracle in a teenager that's not even looking for you. You're gonna do a miracle in a young adult that's been searching so much for you. You're gonna do a miracle in a marriage that's been on the brink of giving up. You're gonna do miracles for the businessman that the business is not looking that good, that tonight, God, you're gonna remind them, you're gonna remind us the truth about favor. Lord, we don't take this moment for granted. Lord, would you use me? Would you breathe on your servant yet again? and make me a vessel for those that need hope, for those that need encouragement, for those that need perspective. God, let them see you, for we know that if they see you, they will be changed in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said? Everybody said? Amen and amen. Can we give it up for the piano man that makes me sound anointed? Thank you. Oh, piano woman, there you go. Thank you so much. I need to put some respect on your name. She was like, I'm tired of this person right now. I'm getting off this stage out here talking about chicken and gators. What is he doing, you know? Um, I want you to raise your hand. This is the only time I'm going to have, even the people at the different campuses, I want you to participate. This is the only time I'm going to have you participate. I want you to raise your hand if you were not grown up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, I want you to raise your hand. Whoa, 
oh, we got a lot of demons, heathens. I'm just joking, just joking. Just got to see who we were working with. Um, the reason that I wanted to see who didn't grow up in church is because I'm one of those people, I, I love to laugh. Anybody that loves to laugh, you love to laugh? I'll tell you what I hate the most as a person who's a lover of laughing. I hate when someone sees something that's hilarious and you just see them hard stomach, dying laughing. You know, you know that good laughter, that laughter where you wonder, am I gonna die right now? And if I do die, this is a good death for real because it's, it's nothing but pure joy. It's like an ecstasy of free happiness and it's the, it's the joy of the Lord personified in a meme and you just see it. And I, there's nothing better to me than seeing one of my friends laughing about something and I walk over and say, hey, what you, what you laughing at? And they, and they show me the video or they begin to tell me the story and I have my face postured ready to laugh like. <laughs> and then they keep going and I'm like, and they get to the end and they're dying and I'm like, oh, that's the punchline. And now it's forced laughter. I'm like, ha, 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 that's stupid, you know, but I can't say that. But it's nothing worse than being on the outside of a good joke, but you don't have context. A lot of times we don't experience joy of laughter because we don't have the context of joy. A lot of times we don't understand who God is because we don't understand the context of his word. I think what we have right now is we have a very weird problem in our generation. We have the most, and this is what they say, I'm not saying this about you, but this is what they're saying about this generation. Again, it's not my words, but what they're saying about y'all, again, it's not my words, is that this generation is the most biblically illiterate generation ever to walk the face of the planet, which is just rude. Like, you calling people illiterate now? Like, that's where we're at? And the problem is having a biblically illiterate generation is that we have a whole bunch of preachers that aren't explaining anything. So we got preachers that have great quotes that make no sense because you don't understand the context, and you have a generation of people who are hungry for God, but they want somebody to give them the truth. And it's hard to understand the truth if you don't understand the context. And so because I know tonight is night one, I feel no pressure to being funny. I feel no pressure of being the best. My goal, very, very simply, is to get this ball down to the touchdown and just make sure that people understand who God is. That's all I'm trying to do tonight. That's my simple goal. But you're going to have to pay attention because I'm gonna give you a lot of context because what I don't want to happen is that we get to the conclusion of this sermon and the friend to your right and the friend to your left is crying and you're looking to the right and left and being like, what happened to them? They were paying attention and you weren't, so I need you to pay attention tonight because we're gonna have to go over the book of Genesis. Now, I promise you, I'm gonna be teaching for the next 10 minutes. If you can endure these next 10 minutes, my whole sermon will make sense. I will also give you a caveat that if you do not pay attention over these next 10 minutes, I will get to minute 12 and you will be like, can he start over? And I don't want that to be tonight's goal for you. I don't want you to go home confused. And so we got to talk about the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you didn't know that, just come to the altar right now because God needs to do a work in you. But it's a very important book. In fact, theologians, which are people that study the Bible and scholars, they all agree that the book of Genesis is what they call the seed plot of the entire Bible. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. It means that everything that's important when it comes to our doctrine can be found 
found at the start in the book of Genesis. When it talks about the wrath of God, it starts in the book of Genesis. When it talks about sanctification, it starts in the book of Genesis. When it talks about sin, Savior, humanity, grace, all these things that you hear preachers and believers and theologians discuss, all of this starts in the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is a very crucial book for you to understand. If you just skip this book and you get to Exodus, you better believe you will be incredibly confused. Genesis is necessary. You can't go to Avengers Endgame without watching Infinity War. It makes no sense. And there's a lot of people that try to make sense of God and they don't even have the whole image of who God is. And today, my goal is to give you the total image of God. So when it comes to Genesis, it's split in two books. And I want to give you some more to repeat. Number one, the word is primitive. Everybody say primitive. primitive. Ooh, say it like a theologian. Say primitive. primitive. That's what I'm talking about. You go ahead, doctor. Look at you. The second part is, this is going to be a little bit hard, it's patriarchal. Say patriarchal. patriarchal. Say it one more time. Patriarchal. There we go. You go. Go ahead. Come up here and finish this sermon for me. You guys are already doing this. Okay, so primitive, it is our nature. Primitive talks about Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 12, and I'll explain it. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates humanity. Very simple. God is so big and God is so expansive that when there was nothing in this world, all he had to do was speak, and everything he spoke came into existence. It was true then, and it is true now. If you want to know who God is, God is so powerful, and his words weigh so so much that even if when he says it, it doesn't make sense, it will make sense after he said it. He said, let there be light, and it was dark. But as soon as he said light, light came up because that is who God is. And if you want to know this in your life, every promise that God has over your life, it is something he's spoken. And in fact, you also need to know that the word of God is not just a book we read. It's personified in the Savior we follow named Jesus Christ. In the beginning of Genesis, you'll say this. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, the book of John, which is the new Genesis, says this. In the, beginning of the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word that they're speaking of is the person that me and you now know as Jesus Christ. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God, they created everything in our world. This is Genesis 1 and 2. Then Genesis 2, Jesus looks around, God looks around, the Spirit looks around, they'll say, hey, we need somebody to inhabit this world. We need someone to have dominion over this world. We need to make man. God did not speak man. God made you. He molded you. Instead, he could have just said human, but he said, I want to be involved. So he stooped down, and he's put his hands on the dust of the earth. And with the dust of the earth, things that people step on, things that people look down on, and things that people don't think you can build on, God took it, and he says, I can do some things with this. And he began to mold and mold and mold. And eventually, he looked over at the Holy Spirit, and he says, I need this thing to give some oxygen. Can you give us breath? So the first breath that humanity ever breathed was borrowed breath from the Spirit himself. And the Spirit of God came in the spirit of man, and it was the first man to be born. And you would think from there, it would be a few chapters where it was going to work out. No, the next chapter, it shows you what happens when we get involved. Sin already entered the world. By chapter four, a son is killing his little brother. Cain is killing Abel. By chapter five, people are getting so evil that God's like, I got to do a reset. And by chapter six, God says, I'm not playing. I'm resetting. And he flood the world. If you ever want to know how God feels about sin, I want to remind you, he flood this earth once and he said he won't do it again, but he may burn it down. So I want you to live a holy life. 
So Genesis chapter six to Genesis nine, we see that God flooded the earth and after he flooded the earth from Genesis chapter 10 to Genesis chapter 11, it's a dispersion of new people. Now that is the primitive part of Genesis. That's just the creation part of Genesis. That's what that is. Now we get to patriarchal. Patriarchal, I'm talking about four patriots of the faith. These four people, you've probably, if you've grown up in church, you'll hear preachers say this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and who's next? The God of Jacob, you know it. Well, all those people are family. The guy, Abraham, he's essentially the great-grandfather. He was an old man, him and his wife named Sarah. They were old at the time, and they felt like God still, they still felt like they wanted to have a kid. And because God was faithful to the dream in their heart, God showed up in their old age and said, hey, you will have a kid. He didn't believe it, so he tried to manufacture it his own way. Just like we do today, God gives us a promise. It comes with patience. We don't like patience, so we try to force it. Then we force it. It doesn't work out, and so we regret it. And then we come to the altar and we say, God, why did you do that? Because of impatience. What you struggle with today, your great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, also struggled with that. But because God was faithful to his word, God gave them what they were believing for. God gave them a son. This son's name was Isaac. So from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 25, it's all about Isaac, all about Abraham. But from Genesis chapter 25 to Genesis chapter 27, it's all about Isaac. Then Isaac has another son. He has two sons. One name is Jacob. Another name is Esau. Now Esau actually is the firstborn. Earlier, I just said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you actually know it was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? But here's the thing about Jacob. Jacob's a trickster. We all got a Jacob in our life, someone that you look at and you're like, I trust you, but I'm putting my wallet in my front pocket because I don't know what you're going to do. That's who Jacob is. Jacob switched his birthright right with his brother Esau, and then he tricked his father to give him the blessing. And so because of this, now God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, Jacob started as a trickster, and it didn't stop there. When he gets a little bit older, he ran from his family, just like some of you do. We run from our family, and we run from our lineage, and we try to run from them all the days of our life. But eventually, who you are will catch up with you. I want to let you know, you leave this church, but if you don't focus on that dysfunction, that dysfunction will follow you to the next church. It'll follow you to the next relationship. It'll follow you to the next person. You can't ignore the issues in your life. You have to confront them. So Jacob is running from his family, and as he's running from his family, he sees this girl named Rachel. As soon as he sees Rachel, he says, I, I, gotta, I gotta marry her. I have to do it. He goes over to her dad, dad named Laban. Hey, Laban, Laban, let me have your daughter. He's like, you can work for her for seven years, and I will give her to you. And let me just stop and say this to any young man that is trying to get in a relationship today. You may be one of those people that you like arguing the Bible and you're like, hey, you know, the Bible times are different. And I get that. I'll go there with you. The context is different. You know, we're not in Israel. We're in Orlando. There's a lot of differences. But there are some things that are true then and they're true also now. And let me say what's true now. If you want to talk to a girl, homie, if you're trying to talk to a girl right now, you need a job. You need a job. I'm not trying to be prophetic. No, I'm trying to be practical. Nobody likes me. That's because you're broke. Nobody likes me. That's because you don't have a car. Nobody likes me. That's because you're asking mom to cash app you on your date. You better sit down. Boy, you better sit down. And there's some people even at the main campus. You're single. Hey, get, 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 get that money up. And so Jacob sees her and he was like, you know what? 
If she's really worth it, you'll work for it. If she's really worth it, you'll work for it, not just with your money, you'll work on it in your management, you'll work on it in your purity, you'll work on it in your integrity, you'll work on it with how you live your life when no one's looking. If they're really worth it, you'll work on it. And Jacob saw Rachel and he said, she's worth it. So seven years pass, they have the wedding and he wakes up in the morning and he does not see Rachel. He sees Leah and he's like, Leah, what you doing? What you doing here? You the older sister. And again, this is what the Bible says. I don't say it. It says that she had one of her, one of her eyes wasn't working like the other eye. That's what I'm trying to say. Again, that's Bible. And if your eye does that, mine does too in the morning. Or if I don't get the wrong sleep, there's a whole thing. Anyway, he wakes up to left eye Leah, okay? Wakes up to left eye Leah. And then he goes to Laban. He says, Laban! What's going on? He was like, listen, man, in our culture, you know, we got to marry off the first one. But listen, I'll throw, in, I'll throw in the younger daughter, too, if you work another seven years. Imagine if you're Rachel. You're throwing another daughter. Dad, come on. But that's how they did it. So he worked seven years, and he got not just one wife. He got two wives. So Jacob marries Leah, and here's the discrepancy. Leah keeps having children for Jacob. And in that culture, you were blessed if you could have a child. And so she's having child, she's having a son after a son after a son. Even their maidservant is getting with him and they're having children. And Rachel cannot conceive a child. The one that he's actually in love with, he doesn't have a son with. And it's frustrating to him. But then Rachel tells him good news. Jacob, I'm pregnant. And when Jacob finds out that Rachel is pregnant, he's so excited because he knows everything he had to go through to get a son from Rachel. And the Bible says that Jacob goes on not to have just one son or two sons or three sons. Y'all, he had 12 children. Come on. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 sons, okay? So he has 12 sons, and the second to last son is the son we're talking about today. Now we're in Genesis 37. So you just learned about Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 37 in about 10 minutes. So give it up for you because now you know the word of God. There you go. And now this is where the sermon needs to start. And this is where I want you to pay attention because I need to talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about the truth about favor. As Christians, we're not called to be lucky. We're called to have favor. Some of us think that we don't have the right amount of luck and that's why life's not working out. No, you are trying to go to certain things to get approval of approval that you already have because God has blessed you and when God blesses you, he favors you. And God favored Joseph. In fact, when Joseph was born, his dad was so excited, he made him a coat of many colors and he gave that to his, he gave that to his son and his son is walking around with the coat of many colors while all his brothers are cold. He's like, must be nice, y'all. I'm warm, y'all ain't warm? Hey, y'all better get your favor up because I got a coat. So I'm gonna give you 12 lessons of favor as I go on. I know for someone's like, 12? How many minutes does he have? Believe me, I'll go through them very fast. Number one, you gotta know this. I want you to take notes. Number one, you're favored by the father. Joseph didn't do anything. He was just born, but his father already loved him. You don't have to do anything. When you're born into salvation and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing you have to do. You already got favor. 
you're favored. But here's the, also the reality about favor, that there's different things that favor is gonna cause in your life. Favor will open up fun things, but favor will also create frustrating things in your life. So number one, you're favored by the Father. And then Joseph, with his colors and with his coat of many colors, he has a dream one day. And he has this dream and he wakes up and he tells his brothers and he tells his dad, hey guys, I had a dream. They're like, okay, Martin Luther King, <laughs> tell us your dream. He says, I had a dream that there was food and all y'all's food was bowing down to my food. And the brothers were like, okay, so now you're warm and now we're starving, thank you. The next morning, he has another dream. He says, guys, I had a dream. The solar systems were bowing down to moi, me, not you. They're like, what? And this is rule three about favor. Favor frustrates those around you. See, you want to know why you're not experiencing peace at school and why your friends aren't happy when you won that certain thing. It's because they're frustrated about the favor that you're walking in. There's someone that's experiencing a job and you're having so much favor with your boss and all your coworkers don't like you. And why don't they like you? Because your favor is frustrating those that are around you. Favor is fun for the ones that have it, but it's frustrating for the ones that don't. And, and something that Joseph had to learn the hard way that I want you to learn right now is that not everyone likes your favor and not everybody cares about your dream and not everyone's excited about it. So be really, really careful who you tell your dream to because your favor will frustrate those around you. So much frustration ensued in the life of Joseph's life when it came to his family that his families came to this point. All the brothers got together and said, hey, we are going to kill him. And it makes sense. It's kind of hard, right? But in Genesis chapter 4, we, all saw, we already saw Cain killing Abel. And by the way, on the subject of big brothers, you're going to have to understand this, that all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, you will see that the people that will give you and be the biggest bullies in your life and give you the hardest time are always going to be the brothers in your life. See, there's an attack on fathers, but most fathers in the Bible were actually kind of good to their children. But you know who wasn't good? Brothers. Cain couldn't handle what Abel was doing, so he killed him. Joseph's brothers didn't like that he had the colors, so they killed him. When David gets into the room, this guy about David who kills Goliath down the road in 2 Samuel, when he gets in the room, all his brothers see that they were all had the opportunity to be a king, but none of them were approved to be a king. And here comes this little boy named David, and Samuel sees David and says, this is the one. God likes him not because of who he is on the outside, but because of who he is on the inside, because he has a heart that seeks after God. Do you know in the next chapter, David shows up to the battleground to serve his brothers, and one of his brothers looks at him and says, you have evil in your heart. You want to know why his brother said that? Because family knows exactly what to say to hurt you. So if there's anyone you got to beware of, beware of the big brother when the younger brother comes home and he's quick to tell you what he's been doing the whole time. And so what we see in Joseph's life is that he has brothers that are actually masquerading as bullies. In favor frustrated those around him. So you know what favor does? Number five. Favor gets you into trouble. And if you're not careful, you'll get thrown into a pit like Joseph. Imagine Joseph one day, he sees all his brothers and he's like, oh, hey, Reuben, how y'all doing? Why y'all look so mad? And they're like, hey, come here, Joseph. And before they know it, they take his coat, they rip his coat, 
and they say, hey, we're just gonna, we're gonna kill him. But then Reuben says, hey, don't kill him because Reuben had a good heart. He was gonna come back to save his brother, but he couldn't. And so instead he said, I'll be right back. And when he came back, his brother was gone because his brother was sold into slavery. But because when you have favor, it follows you, that's what you gotta understand about favor. Rule number six, favor follows you. You don't follow it. So many times we'll lose a job and we think we lost our favor. No, you just lost a job. Sometimes we'll lose a relationship and think we lost our favor. No, you just lost a relationship. Sometimes we think we lost our favor because we lost a car. No, you just lost your car. You will never lose your favor because the favor follows you all the days of your life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so if you're alive, just know that right behind you is some mercy and right behind you is some goodness because you don't follow favor. Favor follows you. And he gets sold into slavery. But because this favor followed him, the Bible says that Joseph had success with everything his hand touches. And so he gets in this house and he's working for this guy named Potiphar. And the Bible says that Joseph was a handsome man. He, was, I, I, he reminds me of someone like that I know personally. I think he was short, dark, and handsome. It reminds me of Peter Reeves. That's exactly who he was. He was Peter Reeves. <laughs> there you go. Joanna said, that's my man. That's my man right there. He was handsome, and he was so handsome that Potiphar's wife said, I got to get a hand on that. And this is what you got to understand about favor. Favor will position you in places that will force you to fight your flesh. It's a lot of Fs, but it's very true. Favor will get you to a place where you have no idea, how did I get here? As I stand and hold this microphone, I'm gonna be quite honest, I have no idea how a guy named Tyshawn who was raised in Las Vegas by one single mother, I have no idea how all of this has transpired in my life that God has now raised me up to be a voice in my generation. I don't take it lightly, but that's what favor does. Favor will position you, but favor will always give you an opportunity, not just to flaunt it, but it gives you an opportunity to fight your flesh. Now, before, I'm not trying to hide the end of the story. I'm going to tell you what happens for Joseph. It all works out. He gets to the palace. But the reason that I actually believe that Joseph gets to the palace is because something that happened right here in his life. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife, we preach it as if she asked him once. She didn't ask him once. She said, Joseph, come here, boy. I like Hebrew boys and I cannot lie. Come here. Lay with me. And Joseph says, no. He says, no, I can't do that. She's like, all right. So the next day, lay with me. He says, no, I can't do that. So the next day, Joseph, lay with me. He says, no, I can't do that. So then she stops getting tired. She gets tired of asking. And now she takes her asking into action. And she grabs little boy Joseph. She grabs him, and he was like, no. And she's like, yes. She's like, no. She's like, yes. He's like, no. The Bible says that she grabs his clothes so when she grabs him, his clothes come off. Now, I want, and I'm not trying to be graphic to the parents. I'm not trying to be graphic, but I want to show you something about Joseph that we don't give him credit for. He was naked in front of a woman that already wanted to sleep with him, and he still ran. He still ran. 
The reason that, no, no, don't clap for this. Don't clap for this because I also think that's a problem in our church culture. I think we clap for things that we don't apply and we wonder why we don't experience the promises of God in our life. The reason that we don't is because promises only work if the principles are applied. So we have a generation that's memorized promises but they don't know how to apply principles and that's why they're walking through their life not experiencing anything. What made Joseph trust it to get to power is God knew that he would do anything to protect his purity. And if there's anything I need to tell some young people, you need to learn to run. There's only one sin that Paul says to run from. It is not stealing, though don't steal. It is not lying, though don't lie. It is not gossiping, though don't gossip. It is sexual immorality. Second Corinthians and Second Timothy both tell us that when, when, you have a porn, when you get to a place where you have a porn problem, if you have an addiction to doing certain things that you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to just entertain it. You're supposed to run from it. Don't play with sin. Don't play with sexual immorality. If that guy sends you that message, I'm so sorry. Thank you for revealing yourself. You're the devil. I'm blocking you. When you get to a place where you says, I can't have this phone because every time I have this phone, I keep going back to pornography. I go to church and I clap and I go home and I'm in chains. If the way you want to experience freedom, you don't play with it. You run from it. You run as fast as you can, as quick as you can. And if you got to run away naked, run away naked. Because what you got to understand, your purity is worth fighting for. Your purity is worth running for. Your purity in your heart. Sin, sexual sin is the only sin that affects the inside of your life. And we got a lot of Christians thinking that if I dabble in pornography, people won't know. No, your insides will start showing on your outsides real quick. And you'll think that you're fooling us and all we're doing is waiting for time to figure out who exactly you really are. So what makes Joseph ready for the palace is that he was willing to run for his purity. And I also need to tell you something else. Lesson seven, you don't always get rewarded for doing the right thing when you have favor. He ran from her. So you know what happened? He didn't become a youth pastor at Faith Assembly Church. That's not what took place. He didn't become an evangelist for the people of Israel. There was a lie. And the lie was he was trying to come against the woman. And because people believe girls then, and sometimes they believe women now, it, just, it, it didn't matter what the truth was. The accusation was enough to throw him in prison. So if you're looking to be rewarded every time you do the right thing, look at Joseph's life as a reminder that you always don't get rewarded for running. Sometimes you will get in trouble for being committed to your convictions. Sometimes, I was listening to something the other day, and there was this artist, and he was told, he was like, hey, you know, if you stop making your message so much about Jesus, you'll get more opportunity. And he says, then that's not the opportunity I want because if I have to dumb down the message to get man's approval, I'm not gonna dumb down the message because the message is worthy to be lifted up. The message of the gospel is worthy to be talked about. The message is worth not diluting. So Joseph runs. He runs and he has a dream and his brothers were after him. So anyone that's in this room that you've had a dream and your family come against you and you're wondering, does my child trauma, is, can I find trauma in the Bible? Yeah, you don't have to look beyond Genesis. Because if you had childhood trauma from your family, Joseph is a person that you can talk to. Now, a little bit about me that you may not know is that when I was 17 years old, I graduated school early so I could be an intern. I was so excited about everything that God was doing in my life, I took this ministry stuff seriously. Like, I was the weird kid that sat in the front row that tried to, get, get, that tried to hang out with the guest pastor. I walk up to him, like, hey, so what are we doing after? They're like, 
whose boy is this? Whose who's little kid is that? I was like, come on, man, let's, let's hang out and prophesy together. I didn't know what preachers did, but I loved ministry so much that I said I wanted to grow. So I was 17 years old. I remember showing up super early and everyone else in the internship was way older than me. In fact, I was 17 years old and the oldest person was 33. And I thought they would have been really happy that a 17-year-old was in a program. But now that I'm 30 years old, I can realize real quick they were so annoyed to see me in there. And I remember that first week being so annoyed and the Lord led me to this story. And there was something that I found in this story at age 17 that I've never preached on till today. And I wanna say this for any 17-year-old in the room, any person that maybe you're like me, and as I'm preaching, you're thinking about you preaching. And as I'm holding this microphone, you're like, I, could, I bet you I could hold that microphone like that too. And you're wondering, does God see me? Does God speak to me? I want you to know that I wrote the main part of this message when I was 17 years old. So if God could speak to me at 17, I think he can speak to you at 14. I think he can speak to you at 17. I think he can speak to you at 39. I think he can speak to you even though I'm in this room and you're watching another campus. I think he can speak to you. And I remember the Lord revealed something about the life of Joseph that I decided to master this in my life. And I'm gonna be quite honest, I'm not prideful about a lot of things, but this next principle that Joseph taught me is a principle that I think about every day. I think about it when I go in every room. In fact, it's the forefront thing that's in every conversation I have, and I'm not exaggerating. And it's something that I saw with Joseph. Lesson number eight, when you have favor, give that favor to a friend. Because in this moment in Joseph's life when he was in prison, the Bible said that he even had favor in prison because, again, favor follows you. And so he's in the prison, and he's a dreamer, and we know him as a dreamer. And the Bible says that Joseph walks over to these two people in prison and says, hey, what's troubling your heart? And both of them said, I had a dream. Now, if you're arrogant, which majority of our generation is, I'm going to say it because I'm a part of the generation. We love ourselves so much. We love our calling like so much. And nobody cares as much as you do. I'm just going to say that. Nobody cares. Like you really think we care? I promise you we don't. But you, you think that. And the thing is, God can't promote self-absorbed people. Even if self-absorbed people figure out a way to make it work for them, it'll still be frustrating because they'll never be in the true place they're supposed to be because they're so self-absorbed. And God can't trust people who are in ministry that are self-absorbed. So he will put you in a place to starve you of attention so you can realize something that maybe you forgot, Joseph. There's other people that have a dream too. You're not the only one going to bed at night with a dream, <laughs> thinking you're special, woke up, babe, I had a dream. Yeah, you and three billion other people, Tyshawn. What are you talking about? But we live in a culture because we, we rather have likes in views than values, and so we just want, to we want everything to be about us. Yeah. But Joseph's in prison, he sees someone, he says, tell me your dream. The greatest test of a dreamer is another dreamer. I can always tell if a person's really secure. Put them in a room with another secure person, yeah. and, we'll, and we'll see this security game. <laughs> and Joseph sees these other people's dreams, and because he began to serve other people's dream, I'm gonna tell you something that most people wouldn't even notice or even think about. The Bible says that he begins to interpret the dream right after they told him. Here's the question I have for you. Where did Joseph learn how to interpret dreams? 
Because he had two dreams, and he didn't even know what they meant. Yet, when he got around another person's dream, and he got into a posture to serve a dream, there was a gift in him that he didn't even know he had that only got revealed when he began to look at other people's dreams. Can you be trusted enough to look at another dreamer in your row and say, hey, tell me what you're dreaming about. I don't, want, I don't care about what God does in my life as much as I care what God does in Peter's life. I'm, the, that's, I'm not saying that just to say it. I really do mean that. I pray that this church erupts and takes over this whole state because it really means something to me that God uses other people that last name is not Roland and didn't come from my family lineage because I understand that this world is much bigger than me. And sometimes if you're really called to be a Joseph, serve a dream in prison. If you're in a season right now and you hate it, find a dream to serve. You'll love it. Because when you begin to serve a dream, There are gifts that are in you that begin to erupt outside of you that only come from a place of service that can't be seen when you you try to be a star on a stage. So God will position you and say, I need you to serve that dream. I need you to serve that pastor. I need you to serve that church. I need you to serve those young people. I need you to serve. Well, I don't want to serve. No, I need you to serve because there's a dream interpreter in you, dreamer, and you're so caught up in the dream that you don't understand that if you don't learn this thing in prison, you'll never get out of it. You know why most people stay in prison? Because they still think prison's about them. That's why they stay in prison. Man, I hate this season. Been in this season for five years. Sounds like you've been prideful for five years. I hate this season. Nothing's working out for me. Sounds like you have not been working for anybody else outside yourself. If we can get to the place where we don't care about being a star, Because you know your servant, our savior did not come to be a star. He came to be a servant and he gave his life for a ransom of many because when he showed up on the world, he did not say it's about me. He says, listen, I got to get them to the kingdom. I got to get them into heaven. So I will die. I will come down. I will put on skin and bones and I will live like them so I can get them to be connected to my God. Even Jesus came in a posture of servant. Yet we got all these social media preachers trying to be a star. I need to remind you that you're called to serve a dream. You're not just called to seek a dream. And so another truth about favor is that um, even with favor, you will be forgotten. Joseph tells one of the guys, now one of the guys ends up dying. It's a very sad story. But there's another guy. He doesn't end up dying. And he says, hey, man, when you go and you hang out with the palace, can you just remember me? Can you get me out of here because I'm not supposed to be here? And he was like, yeah, bro, I'll see you later. And you probably watched SpongeBob. It was two years later. (laughs) He served and was doing the right thing and still was ignored for two years. And in a generation that wants to be seen, the greatest, the hardest thing for you to fight is being forgotten. That's why you look at your phone so many times throughout a sermon. You don't want to miss anything. But I'll tell you what you're, where, you're, where, you're, where, you, where you can put your phone down. Because all you're missing is people being insecure. People exaggerating their wins, hiding their losses, buying likes and followers, and acting like everything's okay. You're not missing anything. Be okay with being forgotten. Be okay in the seasons where you're wondering, does anybody see me? Does anybody know the gift that I carry? Be okay being forgotten, friend, because even if you have favor like Joseph, you're going to be forgotten. 
But here's the beautiful thing about favor. Favor knows where to find you. It knows where to find you, Joseph. As the band comes together, I'm gonna end this sermon as quickly as possible so we can have a moment of altar. He was in prison and he was wondering, man, does, am I gonna get out of this? God, I've been serving. I've been doing this, God. And I thought I was called to be in the palace, yet I'm in a dungeon. I was talking to one of my friends about this in a sermon. He said I could use it. And so I'm gonna use it because he said I could. He was like, Tyshawn, Joseph said he was in the dungeon, but the dungeon was actually in the palace. So was he in a dungeon or was he in a palace? But when you're in a hard season, a good thing looks bad. Even though he was in proximity to the place that he was gonna be in, he was almost an arm's length away. There are some people as I preach that you are arm's length away. And you're like, I feel like I'm so, I feel like I'm so close to it, like I could just grab it and taste it and God, I need you, and I feel like nobody sees me, and I feel forgotten, and I'm wondering, does anybody see me? Favor will find you at the right time. First Peter, one of my best friends, Zach Crawford, he always would quote this verse. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, and at the right time, he will lift you up. Joseph was in prison, and he was like, man, this is frustrating, and then he gets a knock on the door, and he gets a knock on the door, not so he can be in his dream. He gets a knock on the door because we needed him to serve a dream. Hey, Joseph, can you still interpret dreams? And he's probably like, listen, I can do whatever you want me to do. I can twerk if that's going to get me out of this prison. Listen, I can do it all. <laughs> Just had to make sure he was paying attention. Sorry, Pastor Johnny. <laughs> he's like, we will never have Tyshawn back out here twerking on the stage. <laughs> says, Joseph, we need you to serve Potiphar, serve Pharaoh. So he shows up because favor will find you at the right time. And he told Pharaoh the dreams and Pharaoh looked at him and he says, I don't know who you are, but I'm about to promote you. And he takes the ring off of his hand and he puts it on Joseph's hand, representing authority. And everyone had to watch Joseph get to this place of power, including Potiphar and the wife. I bet you Potiphar's wife was looking at Joseph and she was mad because she tried to lie on him. But when the truth of God is really on somebody's life, a lie can't stop what God's gonna do. So you can lie about them, you can talk about them, but if God already started it, there's nothing you can say to stop it. So he takes him out and he begins to work for Pharaoh. Which, here's the craziest part. Joseph is actually in his dream, but he didn't even recognize it. And this is my thing about dreams. Dreams are responsibility in seed form. God can't give you the responsibility first at 17 because if he were to tell you that, hey, you're gonna be managing this different people, you're gonna be over this, you're gonna be over this money, you're gonna be over this person, you're gonna be like, what? And then oh, also, Joseph, you're never gonna be promoted out of the position you're gonna be in. He would have heard that and said, I don't want that responsibility because you fight responsibility when you're immature. But when God matures your dream into a vision, and you begin to realize that dreams are just responsibilities on the other side. That's all it is. He finally gets in his position, and then one day his brothers show up. And I don't have the time to go into all this different part, but his brothers show up, and it's so funny. Joseph can recognize them, but they can't recognize him. And he wants to be mad. He wants to be frustrated, because this is what you did to me. 
you, you threw me in a pit? I went to go work for some guy named Potiphar whose wife tried to, she tried to touch me. I promise she tried to touch me. And I got thrown into prison because you guys didn't like my coats? Yeah, but now we need you to serve because you're in the dream now. They're bowing down, Joseph. So what are you gonna do when they bow down? Are you gonna break them? Or are you gonna build them? Favor is not for fun. Favor is for function. And the function of favor is that you save and help people. The only reason God has given me the ability to put sentences together and stay confident on a stage and study a message is because he knows that I'm going to get on this stage and the only thing I want to do is allow what I'm doing to touch what you're doing. And hopefully between this and that, we see God save a whole bunch of people. So Joseph gets in this place of favor and he says, I'm favored to forgive. I got to forgive because God's been too good. The pit should have killed me, but it didn't. The prison should have stopped me, but it didn't. The lies should have crippled me, but it didn't. My brothers tried to break me, but I'm still alive. I got to forgive my brothers. And here's when we get to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. The context is Jacob, his dad, Joseph's dad, has died. And when he dies, the brothers get together and they say, hey, um, listen, now the dad's gone. He's going to kill us because I know he's been planning his revenge. And so he goes, the brothers go to Joseph to make a penance for their wrongdoings. And Joseph says, guys, guys, as for you, you meant it for my evil. But God meant it for my good. Amen. Church, I just think it would be fitting. The reason why I would step up at this time, they're getting ready to go into that altar time. Of course, we believe in the power of prayer. I just think it would be fitting if we just take a few moments and pray for God to just show up in that room in such a powerful way. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.